I say, hey, what's up? Hello. My name is Rich Ryan, and this is the Reinforced Running Podcast. We bring you actionable information that you can implement into your own training so that you can be a better endurance athlete. Facts. And this week, we have a gem of an episode with Matt Liptak. Matt is a Spartan pro and OCR coach who has a wealth of knowledge. He, he is as well-read and has done as much research as anyone I, I know in, in this sport of OCR, and he speaks to the information very, very well. So we get into the weeds a little bit here, and um, we get a lot of great takeaways for you. And, you know, the sport of OCR it is young, so we need coaches like Matt who will experiment with his knowledge so that he can develop practical training for the OCR athlete. And, he, and he's doing just that. So we talk about how to systematically create a workout routine uh, for performance when you're dealing with a time budget, you know, things like full-time job, you, know, you have a family, kids, all that, you know, and why training for speed can be as effective as training for absolute strength when it comes to your performance and also some errors that many uh, many OCR athletes are committing and some proper alternatives that you can work into your own routine. So before we get to the episode, please hook it up with five-star review and subscribe to get the freshest episodes of the Reinforced Running Podcast directly to your feed. Or if you know someone who could benefit from the podcast, just send it their way. Hook them up. And also make sure to check out the one-on-one coaching page for runners and OCR athletes in the link with the show notes to see if you would be a good fit for the coaches here at Reinforce Running. All right, here is Matt Liptak. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I will be your host today. Today, we are joined by Matt Liptak. Matt, thanks for joining me today, man. Hey, thanks, Rich, for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to really kind of dive into the weeds. And we almost got there just a second ago off air. So we thought, <laughs> okay, let's press record before we, we like lose everything. Um, and you're extremely educated, really well versed in training and, and OCR. So we really want to dive into that. But first, I have a couple of random questions for you. No, sure. No problem. So we're going to do that. Okay, cool. So what is your favorite genre of book to read that is not exercise related? Oh, uh, not exercise related. Can rehab also work in this? Nope. Out. No, nothing <laughs> like that. Uh, okay. I would probably have to say, uh, either philosophy or religious studies, just because I think that's an interesting, not necessarily a parallel, but it, it's so much within the culture now, um, that it makes sense to just kind of understand, uh, you know, our history and then what has happened that way. So mm, that's an interesting one. That's a good one. And there's a lot you can take from that. And you, you, I, some of the stuff that you post is a lot on like the stoic philosophy, right? Is that something that you? Uh, yeah, that is absolutely true. Sure. And is that, uh, do you know exactly what that entails? Uh, I've, I've like read a little bit of it. Um, and I can kind of like speak to when I, when I see it or when I hear it, I would know it's like, Oh, that's like stoicism right there. But what, what right. would you, how would you kind of wrap that up in like a elevator pitch? Simple yeah. terms. Basically uh, the idea behind it is to be the best human you can within the best context that you can, um, so there's kind of a couple of main virtues, basically four, which is kind of like, you know, honesty, um, veracity, that kind of thing, wisdom. So what you're doing is you're, you're pretty much trying to create the best opportunity for yourself while weathering all of life's storms, right? If tragedy happens, you, you try to make the best out of it and keep moving forward with a positive attitude, but a more logical attitude. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, that mm-hmm. statesman, you know, the Roman emperor, he was really big in the book called Meditations. 
And I recommend anyone reading that, uh, but to, to distill it more, uh, there's an author currently, his name's Ryan Holiday, mm-hmm. and uh, he wrote a thing called The Obstacle is the Way. And that is a really great combination of everything. Very easy to read, uh, easy to implement. So that's my suggestion on that. Yeah, and, and Ryan Holiday is a good contemporary example. And he just takes it, like his books are easy to read because chapters are kind of short. There's a good lesson in there. And it's like, let's talk about sports and then how this relates to Stoic philosophy. Right, right. It's paralleling and it's easy to access. You're absolutely right, 100%. Totally, man. I like it. Um, cool. So if you could pick one skill to pick up instantly, what would it be? Uh, transcendental meditation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> would you, would you consider that a skill? Cause that is like a practice, right? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, I think mindset and, uh, being able to get to that level where you can, uh, almost in the Western world, you know, our minds are constantly being bombarded by stimulus. Uh, if you, you know, Apple products, having that screen time where you can like, how many times did I check my social media? And then you're all stressed about life. And, you know, being able to be kind of in the moment and centered is, I think, incredibly important. Uh, but unfortunately, we're in a culture where we're not going to get that opportunity. So it's a lifelong skill that would be awesome to distill into like 20 seconds of me just thinking, yeah, I got it. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, when I am diligent about mindfulness practice like you really feel a difference and it's easy to lose that feeling and just kind of for kind of drift off into that cloud cloudy cluttered space yes. and not even realize that you're there until like you do have a, a practice and, and and you're consistent with it over and over and tm's weird though because like you have to pay for it right like you gotta have to go to a class and, and like it's like a thousand bucks and then they give you a a mantra essentially it's just yeah, like a word yeah. to say over and over and over in your head yeah, do you practice absolutely. it or are, are you no. is it something you're eyeing up well right now as far as a uh, cost versus um execution uh that's another reason why i'm not really like going forward in the ocr setting this year mm. yeah but you know having two degrees and thinking about some guy coming to my house giving me a mantra to live by and then i gotta pay extra money for him to do it not necessarily and you got like the headspace meditation app right yeah. You got Addy Putty Combo. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. But anyway, he has a book as well. And it's not transcendental mm. meditation, but it's designed to be for our Western folks here, including myself. Uh, so it's a little easier to work with. No, that's really helpful, too, because it just he explains everything to you. <laughs> like, this yeah. is what we're doing. It's OK to do this. It's a really good way to learn. I use one called Insight Timer, which is also free, but it's it's much a huge library of meditation so you kind of have to sift through them some of them are very bad some of them are good so you just have to kind of roll the yes dice. absolutely and really quick because i like that question for you too so one skill you could accrue like right now what would you do mm. so i've had this like obsession with trying to learn how to speed read and nice. which is essentially you know like not verbalizing the words in your head when you read and just kind of like seeing everything and and seeing the words and having it create a picture in your brain and you're able to kind of like scan pages at a time and then also retain the information much more because you are visualizing it, not just kind of like reading it and memorizing it. Um, there, cool, you can it. practice it. I don't, I, I've tried. I'm not a great, I'm not like a very fast reader. My reading comprehension is not awesome. Um, so that would be something that I always like want to read and, and like have more books available. So I buy a lot of books. I, I start a lot of books but if I could read them faster and comprehend them better, that would be. Oh, so you got like ADHD book reading. Yeah. And before Uh, I get, before I get through it, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, let me try this one. Yeah. I need to, I need to really kind of pare it down and just, um, learn how to focus and retain a little bit better. What three do you have by your bedside, man? Right now? Like if you, if you got the book ADD, would you have like three next to your bed that you're kind of reading back and forth right now? 
I'm reading a book called Ishmali right now uh, by like a uh, Dan Quinn. I'm just getting into it. It's about I don't I can't even really tell you. It's more on like the philosophy side. Cool. Um, I'm reading a book called Grind. It's by a uh, an entrepreneur who started a coffee um, business in the Midwest, Big B Coffee in Michigan. Um, it's just kind of like entrepreneurial, like put your nose in the dirt and work. And then a third that I um, I have is uh, Principles by um, Ray Diallo. And that's more like investing and like life principle stuff. So those are like the three right. that I'm kind of like in right now. Those are like the three main pillars anyway, you know, out of the five. So that's pretty badass. Yeah. I'm trying. And then of course, like fitness stuff all the time. Everywhere. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Cool, um, all right. So what, in your opinion, is the best part of craft beer? Oh. Uh, I just think the diversity is actually the most impressive. There's so much out there right now. And it kind of grew from like 2000s. And then now we're, we're at this big epic where people have screwed up so much that they've done really well. So you're really guaranteed never having a bad beer, regardless of style you're drinking. It's so true. It's almost, there's no reason to be loyal to any brewery because every brewery is going to produce really good beer at this point. Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, if, especially if you get those people that have had you know, training in the traditional sense where like a brewmaster has trained a brewmaster to a brewmaster. Or you get those crazy chemists that are like, well, if we do this with the nitrogenation principle, we can make this better. So it's all kinds of awesome, crazy pseudoscience and science and, you know, tradition. But now that we're talking craft beer, top three craft beers. For me? Oh, yeah. Um, style or are we talking If you're specific- like, I got a... I got to pop this top and I got to drink it down. What do you got? Three. Style doesn't matter. Um, Unless you say like, like natural ice, then then we got problems. <laughs> ice beer? No. Um, uh, Allagash Curio, which is like a barely Belgium triple. That's nice. definitely in the mix. Um, I'd probably put some sort of New England IPA in there. Um, I do like those quite a bit. The one that's local here, the Tired Hands, uh, Alien Church is just like a good classic example. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And then um probably probably founders like um the breakfast out. Yeah, that is a solid. That's my number one go to anymore. Is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, what are your three? Okay. What, what, what three are you uh, would you put on yours? Well, that's gonna be one of them. The founders breakfast out is fantastic. Do you do the Kentucky one too with the the barrel aged? Oh, only if I'm really having a great day. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, they're heavy hitters, you know. That's the great yeah. thing about craft beer too. You, you get one and you're done for the night, but you can kind of sip it, which is awesome. That um, it, that to me is the best part about craft beer. It's just good yes. bang for your buck. Hundred percent. Yeah. Percent. Number two has to be uh, a tried and true. It's the um, it's the Goose Island, um, the Bourbon Country Brand Stout. Mm. So that is just like a number one. And then as far as the last one, I'd have to probably say Weirbacher's Tiny. Um, that's kind of a Belgian style stout and it's really well done. I think they barrel aged it this year and that super barrel weekend, like couldn't make it. And that's depressing, but. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. And we, we share a love for Weyerbach. That's in my uh, hometown where I grew up. So they were, they're like one of the OGs. They were been doing uh crap year for a while. hundred percent. hundred percent. Got to support local. Got to. And what is your favorite workout? If you have one workout, that's like your go-to your favorite. What is it? Oh man, I got to get the, uh, the information here, but pretty much what it is designed to do is that force production concept you want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So you have an athletic stance barbell loaded, you have a trap bar deadlift loaded, and you have an incline trainer. 
and you go between rounds of high intensity uh, athletic stance, force production with the barbell, and you're doing sprints for around 100 feet of gain um, with a, an adequate recovery in between. So you're pretty much overloading, and then you're also climbing hard. Um, mm. Now, there are certain rounds depending on the, uh, the effort or whatever A race it is, but uh, that's a simple one where you know, your first round is athletic stance, dead squats, sprint, trap bar deadlift, sprint, some kind mm. of body weight or carry, continue. Got it. So just kind of round. So, okay, cool. I like that. I've never tried anything specifically like that. Um, but I do, I like the way that sounds. Um, well, cool, man. Yeah. So that since we're kind of there, let's, let's kind of segue into some straight up working out talk. So All right. Training, that sure that's why people are here, right? Not to talk about craft beer, sadly, but I'm sure they, I'm sure they like craft beer. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? Um, but first just kind of tell the people a little bit more about yourself, who you are as an athlete and, and what you're doing here in OCR and strength and conditioning. Cool, man. Uh, can I open it up by a, a statement I found to be kind of relevant by some like strength and conditioning experts? And it's two things, uh, which if you look at me, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm 145 pounds or so in season. So I'm a, I'm a skinny, but anyway, uh, never let a skinny person show you how to lift weights and never let a slow people, a person tell you how to run fast. So uh, <laughs> we'll see if we can kind of get in between there. But uh, no, I've been uh, running OCR since about uh, 2012. And, uh, you know, I started just kind of dabbling. And then uh, after a while, I was running for a nonprofit organization, found that to be a good motivator. I wanted to promote that message. And then uh, lo and behold, years later, after some coaches uh, made it onto the pro team in 2019, and uh, so, you know, following that, I was able to, within the, the construct of time that I had, podium every Spartan distance. And uh, probably more relevant to this conversation is I managed to get a, a, you know, a first place position in the Ultra Beast and the stadium. So I've been able to kind of train for, for both, you know, complete diametric ends of the spectrum. So. Very cool, man. Yeah. And I know that you're a deep thinker about this stuff and you really are an like at the top of the game when it comes to learning and then applying and, and being able to figure out how to put all those pieces together. Um, and one of the things that you, you speak to and you really are passionate about is how to fit all this kind of things in when there is a time crunch oh, and yeah. that this is something, you know, we're not all pro athletes and probably no one listening to this is a pro athlete. So there's not unlimited time to dedicate to training. Um, but you, but we're still doing this and we still want to get better. So what are some things that you have found help when improving performance with this type of like restricted time that we're all faced against? Okay. We'll tell you what I did make sure that I was able to write everything down so I could, I could talk about this at a, a more con like succinct manner so people could get on board. So just because I always had a full-time gig and uh, I always had other commitments beyond that, especially, you know, when you consider travel to a gym or, or trail, which a lot of people have to do. Uh, so anyway, I did take some statistics from the Bureau of Labor Statistics from 2018, just to make it interesting for people that may not have thought about what it takes as far as time management. So in your weekdays, you pretty much have 20 hours and five minutes blocked for all like, average time. And then your weekends are 10 hours and 45 minutes. And that's just without any extra work in there. That's just like normal life stuff. That's free, that's free time? No, that is just what you have to do to survive. Like, you know, eight hours of work a day, right? Oh, okay. That kind of stuff. So anyway, you don't have a lot of time in order to uh, be more specific. So if you would agree with me on this one, just so everyone's on the same page, typically most of your people that are going to get some decent performance benefits are probably running about 40 to 50 miles a week. If they're intermediate, I don't know if yeah, that's right. That's fair. Yeah. And then totally. your, your average paces might shake out to be about eight minutes or sorry, eight mile per hour. 
roughly, which would be then equivalent to six hours and 40 minutes of training the run. So the reason why I brought all that up is because you would probably also agree that the number one concern in any endurance sport that involves running is probably your run time. Totally. All right, great. So if we break it down and just running the 50 miles, you have basically two hours and 40 minutes of a long and aerobic based kind of thing. Your temporal lactic acid threshold is two hours and your short course kind of stuff, which is like 400s to one Ks is like another two hours, potentially that's warm up, cool down in between intervals, all that that's six hours and 40 minutes. So that kind of shakes out to be that 50 miles. There is no gym time, right? That is strict running. You have nothing to do with carries there. You have no skill acquisition. So now we run into an issue with how you can put all the OCR skills together to actually come up with a program. Mm -hmm. So your running and your gym time all comes down to, I think, um, you know, making sure that you prioritize the importance of the work. So your long aerobic distance kind of stuff should be about two hours a week. Your tempo lactic acid threshold, one hour, and your short course kind of stuff to build up that foot speed can be an hour and 15 minutes. That's also including running as a skill, if you can do that as well. And then that means that you have at least 45 minutes of three times a week for the gym. Okay. So that's two hours and 15. That shakes out to be six hours and 30 minutes, which is 10 under the 50 miles a week. So the reason why I gave you all that is because then you can program for the everyman, which is kind of what I've been for many years, uh, a, kind of a, a way to say, okay, I have this amount of time on my weekend versus my weekdays. How can I structure it so I get the best of every world, right? Mm-hmm. So how to prioritize that further? Let me see if I can grab this for you. So there real quick, we, like, so where we are now, right now, you're just kind of setting the framework for how yes. much time, 100%. But like, because we, we don't, we might not necessarily look at it from that perspective, right? It's oh yeah, like, sure. I'll, I'll do a workout after work when it's done, it's done, but not, not necessarily taking in the grand scope of things. So you're saying there's right. about six and a half hours of work. Like if you were to break it down of work that needs to be done roughly. So like roughly six and a half for like someone in the intermediate. So someone who's competitive in age group or someone who's pushing into elite. elite. Yes. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was trying to get at. Yep. hundred percent. Cool. So uh, your basic question then is how we can make that the most efficient as far as that time frame goes. Correct. Yes. Okay. I think it depends on modality. So if you're just doing running or OCR specific, you have to have your materials ready at all times. What really helps is if you have kind of the things in your car. So if you have to go to a gym, you're not like scrambling for items. And that's just a time management piece. So that's like, in my personal opinion, in your car, you should have a sandbag because that's an easy accessible object. 40 to 60 pounds, doesn't matter if you're male or female. You have to have two changes of running gear, including shoes, towels for pull-ups and grip training. That is mm. a, a very cheap way to go. You can go to a track, throw it over some bleachers where the framework is, and you can do yourself some grip. Over a tree, yeah. Right? Over a tree. Uh, fuel and hydration pack. Your warm-ups then can be base aerobic, so you don't have to necessarily worry about taking you know, 15 minutes to do foam rolling and then do dynamic stuff. You can kind of incorporate that into your run, which is kind of valuable that direction. And then as far as strength goes, set a timer. So you'll have a framework of what you'd like to accomplish in the gym, which is kind of like a main lift, a lift that might assist with the main lift to move forward. And then you may be an accessory or two, maybe some core if you're weak somewhere. So, so say a timer, like, a de- like a deadlift as your main, like ring rows as assist, or is that kind of what you had in mind? And then just like a core, a core routine, do some some carries or something. You, you can you can work it in like that. Sure. I mean, there's kind of an innumerable amount of permutations you can do, but as long as you have totally. a primary compound movement as number one, 
Number two, assist some kind of version of that. So an easy one would be like, all right, I'm going to do some free bar squats as my primary, whatever that might be. And then my secondary might be like glute ham raises, right? If you're into okay. that kind of thing. That, that's kind of what got I was it. getting at with that. Yep. Got it, got it, got it. And then obviously compound movements uh, in a giant set is really helpful. So a giant set would be combining more than one exercise. So I have an example here, which I think is great. Trap bar deadlift followed by jump squat followed by hanging leg raises. That's a good example of, of time management there. So while your grip is being taxed, you're also doing uh, an exercise, the trap bar deadlift, which is like 90% of your musculature. You can overload it. And then you do a plyometric, which is called French contrast training. We can get into that with the force production thing. But uh, that's really helpful. You get three main exercises in 45 minutes. You might be done even before that. Mm. So, so that would be the entire the entire strength piece would be these giant these giant sets. I, I like that idea because you can put a lot of work in for a short amount of time and you're constantly moving. So that is also helpful. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so so a day like this would be, and then that way you're able to get some aerobic work in as well. So it'd be like okay, Correct. 15 minutes at easy run pace. Then uh, the the deadlift, glute ham. Uh, or, or yeah, what was it? That you, so that, that example, the, the three, three, yeah, jump yeah, the, squat, hanging leg raise. Yeah, sure. Yes, yes, yes. Then the, the three giant set. And would you, you'd set that on a timer or would you do that in sets and reps and rest? Like how, how does that kind of play? To structure it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So did you read Alex Viata's book, The Hybrid Athlete? Yes, I have. Right. Okay. So this is kind of taking that principle, but also marrying of my own concepts. And I, I recommend if anyone wants to take a really deep dive and how to get like pretty darn strong and pretty darn fast, that's a good place to go if you want to get more specific. But basically- just, just a side note on that. It's, you won't find it on Amazon. It's like yeah. a super expensive ebook on juggernaut training systems, like 57 bucks for a PDF or something. But it's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, but you might be able to find some discount codes, like 20% off. So maybe yeah, we got yeah, yeah. plastic and stuff. So whatever. <laughs> but it is good. I would it recommend it for good. sure. But one thing he does say is that the body doesn't necessarily fully appreciate the kind of efforts you're putting in. It just knows stress, Right. Do you remember that? So what he does is prioritize movements and uh, what you're trying to accomplish in that day based on what your central nervous system is trying to tell you. So your high skill, high force production, strength lifts, right? Olympic lifts, things that are like sprinting, that kind of thing are top priority. The next down the chain would be something akin to like, you know, doing a back squat maximally because that is a lower skill, high intensity effort. And then you go for more like a tempo run or something that's a little bit more gentle. And at the end would be like an easy run. So what he suggests in that book, which I'll tell you I'm not 100% with, is that you would start with your strength movements because you're fresh, right? So yeah. I would actually be doing those giant sets we talked about before and then moving forward into maybe, according to his book, a speed day. So you'd be doing high-end strength work with high-end speed work immediately after and then potentially cooling down with more aerobic if you need it. Right? What is he... Qual I, what is he um qualify as speed work there is that like sprints or is that like that's like 400 meters 200 okay. to 600 something like that yeah okay. that's pretty Just much don't... what he dictates okay got it yeah so the concept behind that is you're taking you know as much motor unit recruitment neural drive and then taxing your muscles maximally and you move into a short distance repeat session which means that you're operating under fatigue anyway so mm -hmm. his argument is that as the race goes on you're getting used to that fatigue it seems fairly specific, fairly like race specific. It is very race specific. Yeah. The problem is burnout, right? 
if you try to do something that's that intense in one day, your next day is going to be shot. You have to have accumulated a certain amount of training over the years to handle something like that. A hundred percent. Yeah. So 100%. like, if you're just going to go out and be like, okay, I'm going to hit it hard. I'm going to deadlift max. And then I'm going to do some 400s. Like you're probably going to be wrecked and you're probably not going to be able to train well for the next couple of days. If you haven't exactly. built, built yourself into something like that. Exactly. So then we, that's where we run to the problem, right? Because right. it seems good in theory, but practice is always the problem. And in his case, he he's known for what, like deadlifting 600 pounds and then running a five minute mile or something, right? Like, isn't that right. like his deal? Yeah. Concurrently. Yeah. Concurrently. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, which, which most people won't be able to do. So that's like a special <laughs> type of human there. Um, cool. And when you're putting this together, how often would you say like, it, 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 would this be the, how frequently would you do a strength workout like this to work it in? So this takes up how much time of the six and a half hours? I'm pretty much telling uh, you know people that they can get it done within about a 45 minute time frame. Oh, nice. Yeah, once or Just, once or twice a week. I would say because we have an upper body component in OCR, we would need to add a third day. You know, especially for ancillary training. But it should not. You know, upper body, lower body is a heck of a lot more complicated to me than upper body. Right. I mean, how many times do we push something in OCR? Typically, it's in a, a stadium or if you're doing the ram burpees, right? You can do, argue like if you're going through the barbed wire, you got to pull yourself or do some like push-up variation or bear crawl, but mostly everything's a pull. Yeah, unless so, you're doing burpees, <laughs> like then you're just kind of screwed anyway. So like it doesn't really matter. Correct. Right. So basically, remember I was telling you about the giant set concept. Mm -hmm. I was doing hanging leg raises. You could put pull-ups in there as well because okay. it's a completely different body system. Uh, that will tax your recovery intraset. So then your deadlifts might get less robust, but it's not that bad. So you would add a third day and just change the variation of the, and, and making sure that you are hitting some upper body, some upper body pulling. Yeah. And, and stuff. So, so let's, uh, I'll break it down a little bit more specifically. So it makes more sense to the listeners. All right. Yeah. So maybe with the first day out of three. Okay. Let's say it's a Monday. Cause that's bro science. We love bro science. So you're going to be <laughs> totally right. International anyway, bench press day. As, yeah. Hey, yeah, but for us as OCR running people, we need to do uh, leg day. So international OCR leg day. Squat day. Yeah, <laughs> Squat day. yeah, exactly. So you're going to be going closer to your one rep max during that day for maximal force production, right? Which but, is going to incur a cost of recovery. We can talk about that later if you'd like, but then within that cost of recovery and doing say like heavy back squat or heavy deadlift, then in between sets, you'll be doing those giant set principles where you're building skill. And on that day, it could be if we're talking upper body, like a body weight pull up. So instead of overly taxing with some, you know, close to one rep max pull up action, we might be doing like sets of six to eight. Mm. So it's not highly taxing. So then you take about, you know, 48 hours recovery. And now we're on our second day. So that might be more upper body intensive where you're doing a two to three ratio. So that means I might be doing more pulling exercises. That might be another weighted pull up, chin up kind of concept, bent over rows, whatever you want to do to get it done. And then you're also doing a pressing variation. And the reason why you want to press, not just pull, even though we're OCR people, is because as you're running, you do have arm drive, right? So if you're a little bit more robust upper body, but you're not super studly, you can still get a little bit more velocity from the arms. And then number two is just overall health, right? Mm -hmm. If we constantly... You, right. I mean, because we always talk about performance and then health follows performance. So if I'm always kind of tucked into this pull, right, my elbows are at my side. So when I'm going across monkey bars, I don't have overhead extension or flexion as it would be. Right. So if I'm building a vertical press with a vertical pull and a horizontal press with a horizontal pull, I'm more able and I'm more balanced as an athlete, which is really important. And then totally. your third day, another 48 hours of separation, you're looking at that speed 
force production concept where you're taking a submaximal weight that's roughly about 40 to 60%. We can get into studies with that too, if you'd like. But mm. that seems to be the sweet spot where now you're marrying your overall ceiling of, of capabilities, which would be your, like your one rep max potential, but now you're putting the velocity through the bar. So rate of force production, which helps kind of push yourself through space, AKA running or mountains or anything like that, that you want to do. So it's kind of taking a high end ceiling approach and then taking the floor and bringing it to the ceiling with the force production speed. And that would be your three days how you could structure it. Got it. And just give us an example of what the, so you said it's a lower, lower weight on that, right. And going for yes. speed, what would be an example? And would you still do the triple set uh, for the force production day as well? Like what would that look like? That's a little bit different. Uh, there are two main ideas behind it. Uh, do you want me to go in some history first with the force production concept? Yeah, before totally. we start diving? Okay. So I think it's important for people to understand where this is coming from, because before it was always like, all right, well, well how much you bench? What's your maximum squat, right? Without two things that are incredibly important. Number one is how good is the rep? You know, are you getting depth, which is you know arguable too, but let's just say that it's parallel back squat, a low bar back squat. And then the second problem with that is, you know, what's your body weight relative to how much force you're putting through, right? So someone who's 250 pounds doing a 300 pound back squat is not as interesting as someone who's hundred pounds doing three, yeah. right? So the rate of force development velocity-based approach was first done um, by Louis Simmons, who's Westside Barbell, and he, he kind of borrowed that from the Russians. And then you have this guy named Dr. Fred Hatfield, also called Dr. Squat, who we're going to get to. Now, those two are powerlifters. Your third person to consider here is Cal Dietz. He used to work with a lot of team sport athletes. He also created uh, triphasic training. Did you ever hear of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like there's like isometric phases and eccentric phases. Eccentric, concentric, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So now that we're talking phases for your listeners who probably already know kind of what I'm talking about here, concentric is where we want to go. So concentric is how you shorten the muscle under load, not lengthen it. So in a squat, as you're descending, that's the eccentric or lengthening under tension, then your concentric is that shortening or standing up. So if you think about mm -hmm. how that translates to like running, right? Your concentric is going to be, I put a foot down, I push off, I go through space. That's con mm -hmm. that's the shortening phase of the hip extensors. So anyway, moving forward to Fred Hatfield, because he's probably the most interesting here. His name was Dr. Squat, and he called this method compensatory acceleration. And he had a book called Super Training. So he was a guy in, in that particular time frame in 1987. He had the world record back squat. He was 255 pounds. And he managed 1,014 pounds. And he, <laughs> this right? is probably before, is this before gear? Definitely before gear, right? No, gear was, gear was still existing at that oh, point. Oh, it was in the right? 80s? Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. It, it was, wasn't as cool as it was now with like, you know, single double ply and all the stitching was weird. Now, I did not do any of that action, but listening to guys like Dave Tate and Louie talk about it, it's funny to hear what they have to say about geared versus ungeared lifting back in the day versus now. So at least I have a little bit of perception on that. Mm -hmm. So anyway... He was pretty much only working with 100 pounds of weight or less in order to get to that 1,000 plus pound squat. So how he's working it science-wise, it's Newton's second law, right? So that pretty much means that the force that you're applying is equal to the mass of the object and the acceleration. So the acceleration would be the speed of the bar if we're talking lifting, right? And that's expressed in Newtons, which is your force equals kilograms, meters per second squared. So an example of this between the two, and we have to understand that before we move forward into the force production, is that if you have a high weight, and I'm going to give you dumb numbers, so it's real easy to do the math, uh, but high weight equals close to one rep max. So let's say I have 100 kilograms on the bar, and I'm able to move that 10 meters per second squared. That's going to mean that I have a total force production of 1,000 newtons. 
correct? Okay. So then all you would do is you would flip the two numbers where I have 10 kilograms on the bar, right? Which is completely off the opposite direction. It's incredibly light, but I'm moving it with enough purpose to go hundred meters per second squared, which is you know, super fast. Yeah. But anyway, that's a thousand Newtons as well. So if you notice what we're focusing on is the force production so that it can be completely in opposition and still yield the same result. And so, but the, the main thing here that that is hard to conceptualize, I would imagine is the measurement right. of the force production, right? Like how Correct. fast you are moving that lighter bar. Um, so like, how did they go about that or how have you found that? And sorry if I interrupted, but is that, no, go for like, it. how do how do you, do you just go as fast as you can and just assume it's getting close? Whereas if you have hundred kilos on the bar, right. you know, you moved it, <laughs> you know, and like, like, okay, cool. hundred kilos. But if you're going off of this type of calculation, it's, it, it doesn't seem to me, it's hard to wrap my head around like if that's yes. being accomplished. Yes. And that was just like preliminary dumb numbers. So we can get on the same page about like, wow, it might actually balance out where it's a one-to-one. Right. It's a different mechanism, right? Cool. I I'm see, yeah, I see where that where that's come from. Okay. So they do have, um, they have equipment now that you can buy and it's super expensive. One of which I had to, I had to find, but it's called the bar sensei by perform better. It's 400 bucks just for the unit and it gets a little higher. So it can show you how fast the eccentric is. So that lowering, right? How fast your concentric is. And the basic thing, and this is coming from a study, and I'm glad that you brought this up too, but uh, the rate of force development that seems to be the best across the board for not only your team sport athletes, your endurance folk, and then your strength athletes tend to be, let me see if I can find this really quick. It is one meter per second. So they did anything from 0.4 to 1.2, and they found the gold mean being one. Now, you can use a fancy tool like the bar sensei to get there. But first of all, you're going to be stuck in a minutia, right? It's not very practical. Right. No, you know, even from a home gym standpoint, it's ridiculous. So let's go back to people who actually know what they're talking about, the strength training, not this guy who's telling you, remember, skinny people shouldn't tell you how to lift stuff. So anyway, <laughs> this is coming from Dave Tate of Elite FTS. He also trained with Louie at Westside Barbell. And a lot of the questions for conjugate training, which I know Dylan talked about a little mm -hmm. bit, right? So basically, they, they have a lot of questions on dynamic day, which is the speed, accelerate, uh, compensatory acceleration, force production. And pretty much the overarching thing he talked about, and I will do my best to paraphrase, but don't get fucking caught up in the stupid shit, okay? And as far as how you should move the bar, it's the intent of the movement more than being absolutely perfect all the time. So pretty much when you're in that concentric phase where you're going to push, the weight should be light enough where you're moving with a full, unstoppable movement. So you're not getting stuck, right? And the bar should be heavy enough with regardless of whatever lift you're doing that you should feel like the bar might pop off your back, but it's still under control, right? So in order to test that, because it's pretty easy to test, you just start with a manageable weight and whatever lift you're going to do. And then you start loading the bar after a good warm up. So let's say I'm 45 pounds, right? I do my normal warm up sets of five. I do about three of them just to warm up my hips. And then I start loading about 10%. And then after a point where I have to stabilize the load of, let's say it's a back squat, get down into the hole, I pause and I can explode up. I feel those plates kind of coming off my back a little bit, but I'm in control. That's roughly where you want to be without having to spend 400 plus. So that's kind of what I like to have. Like we said, yeah, sure. And, and I appreciate you kind of taking that way to answer my question instead of just being like, don't fucking worry about the stupid shit. <laughs> just run yeah. out the jump. I was like, oh, okay. That's the answer. But that makes sense, right? The, uh, it's it's more qualitative from that perspective and like exactly. being caught up in these numbers 
it really, it can be detrimental in a lot of ways. And that's another example. And, and I couldn't help but to think about, um, I don't do triathlons. I don't bike, but I know triathletes and bikers and they're that way, you know, like how they get with their, with their power meters and, and everything like that, which is yeah. really accessible. Yeah. It's like, mm, well, if I can do this for this long, it's like a huge math problem to them. It's an, instead yes. runner's background. It's like, well, did you go hard? <laughs> like just do something. So yeah, I, I like that perspective. It's like, okay, if you can move it fast, you'll know that it, you're moving it fast and yes. you'll yes. know when, when you kind of stop, um, when, when the weight gets a little bit too heavy. Yeah. That's uh, a double-edged sword, isn't it? Like we get stuck in the minutia of details all the time. And now we're talking about pretty deep science here. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we're not getting deep, deep, but we're getting deep enough where I think it's appropriate. Uh, but anyway, paralysis when you're trying to do something based on metrics, just like I have to look about my pace and my heart rate and am I hitting this and how am I feeling? And Oh my God, did I go to the bathroom early enough before I started my speed work? Am I going to die today? Cause it's 97 degrees. Like you got to kind of calm down and keep it simple where appropriate. As long as you have guidelines and you're doing certain things thoughtfully, you're going to get good results, consistency and thoughtfulness, right? Which is important to note because that, when it's this type of concept and it might be something different, it's like, okay, as long as you know how it's supposed to feel, then you'll be able to execute. Exactly right. And so that it's, it's worth having that type of explanation coming up into it. So people don't think like, oh, well, I know what 300 pounds feels like. I don't know what a fast rep is, but if you're able to kind of really distinguish what that should feel like, it gives everybody more of a clear idea. So like, how does that look then? Um, Is it, because I feel like a lot of times when, we're dealing with lighter weight. It's yes. people want to go over the top. It's like, okay, if I'm doing barbell back squats with just a barbell, I can do a hundred of these, but then yes. it, you might not, you might do some of them fast, but you're ultimately not doing it as fast as you can, or, or like how it's kind of jumping off because you're kind of changing it because it's light. So what does it look like as far as reps or is it again, more kind of qualitative or how does that work for this type of day? Right. Let's uh, let's get into how to calculate this anyway, just so you have percentages. Like the gold standards that I took off from online uh, and also that I use myself and that also these strength and conditioning concurrent people um, and also conjugate people look at. So to be able to determine your one rep max, you have to do that two ways, right? Either do it. Do but it. Normally we're, we're beginners, right? As far as endurance athletes, we just don't have experience. I wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't recommend anybody doing a one rep max in pretty much anything. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe bench press if you have a, a spotter, but I'd never <laughs> will promote uh, one rep back or one, especially one rep deadlift. Like it's just kind of scary. Right. <clears throat> so can I ask you personally as a coach, if I'm not getting too behind the curtain here with your yeah, philosophy, but what would you do as far as the closest to one rep max that you would give your, your clients, let's say even beginner or intermediate, it doesn't matter, but something that you find to be valuable that is also controllable. In terms of trying to figure out what they're capable of or what they- Yeah, like if you wanted to do like a close to one rep max in one set, would it be like six reps, five reps, 10 reps? Where would you be? I've taken the more advanced down to to twos and threes, um, yeah. who I know who can handle that. And then never doing- all the way up into a max lift that I've known. Maybe they do it on their own, but um, that that is able to kind of give a good indicator of where their percentages would be. Like yeah, I, I like that. So, um, uh, but yeah, that, and and even like fives, I feel like for the beginner or even intermediate, you still there still is something to you can't. I don't. I don't feel like I can know what someone could lift off a of one rep based off their five rep with the athletes that 
we're dealing with an OCR just because of the lack of experience and they might not be able to sure. be able to push into like that five rep. Like they're probably not at their 88, 85 at oh, yeah. five rep in my opinion. And that's another rabbit hole too, isn't it? Like as far as, you know, muscular coordination, timing, neural drive, uh, even leverages, we don't have to go that deep. Right. But um, exactly. Be- and especially right. with this type of athlete, like, like, like you said, like that might be too, too much in the minutia, right? Like what's yes. going to be better than it might not be, it might not be, optimal but do, do what they're doing is going to be more advantageous to them than not doing anything so yeah that's kind of my idea on that i like that so let's take that concept let's say you're at your three rep max right so what okay. you would do is um, let's say it's back squat just for the heck of it so whoever this athlete is and, and anyone listening could do like a quick thing if you know your numbers you know grab a piece of paper and pencil and so universally and this is between powerlifting circles it seems like it's the amount of weight that you've used times your reps, times 0.033, you're going to get a number. Okay. So once again, that's how much weight you're using times your repetitions times 0.033. You're going to get a number. You add that number you just got to how much you're lifted. And that gives you a perceived one rep max. And so that would be if you did your, if you did what would be like an eight rep max, like if you got the eighth rep and you couldn't do anymore, it's like, okay, this is probably my eight rep max. Yes. That's still valid. Then you would take eight. Then, then what would it be? It would be eight times. Then that would be the number. So how much you're lifting times eight times okay. 0.033. That number plus your initial weight. Okay. Makes sense, right? Plus. So, okay. So it would be, say, just 100 pounds. Right. They did 100 pounds times eight times zero, uh, point okay. zero three three, three. Yeah. And then plus 100? Yeah, exactly right. Got it. Exactly right. But there is a, there's a little bit, the reason why I said about your maximum effort, the further you away from your one rep max potential you are, the more that number is kind of skewed. Yeah. So anyway, let's take that number you just got, right? That one rep max potential, even though you didn't do one rep max. Okay. Now, you multiply that by- so like 126 is what I got with that, right. with that example. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing it while I'm I talk. That's cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Real time example. So 126. Now multiply that by 0.4. So 40%. 50 pounds, 50, 51 pounds. Okay. 51 pounds. Now also take that number, not 51 pounds, 126 you got multiply that by 0.65. So 65%. Okay. That's 81. 81. Okay. So that's your range, right? That's a pretty good idea about where you should be on the low end when you're just learning how to do this. Start with your low percentage, about 40, right? And as you get more advanced and you're able to push harder, then you get to that 60, 65%, right? Now that's not the hard and fast rule, but at least it's pretty good to get people started. Somewhere between 40 and 65. Is that 40 what it and 60, 40 and 45% and 60%, but I like 40 to 65% personally. Okay. Yeah, cool. because honestly, for the endurance athlete, the speed of the movement is more important than the actual percentage. So once again, use the percentages as a guideline, as but a then do point. the feel that we talked about as what you should be experiencing, cool. right? Because if you have endurance fatigue, your rate of force development of production is not going to be as high because your legs are trashed. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. So as far as repetition counts and time to recover between sets and where you should put this in, like I said, let's assume that this is day three and our speed production day out of the three days that we've had. This is what you want to start with after a warm up. I like six to eight sets of two to three reps with about 60 to 90 seconds of recovery between. Okay. Using those percentages as a guideline, as long as the bar velocity remains constant, right? So if you're on your seventh set and you start being like, wow, this is getting heavy and grindy. I'm not able to maintain the speed. 
stop. As long as you're within that range, you're good. Deadlift is just a little different. If you're going to do some kind of hinge or deadlift variation, six to eight sets are still good. And one to two repetitions with about 70 seconds of recovery. So the recovery, I think, matters more for us than it does for some power lifters because power lifting, you're looking at about 60 seconds of recovery. Sometimes less if you really look at old school West Side Barbell. But for us, because we're not really able to coordinate our muscles as well, especially mm-hmm. like the intermediate or novice athlete. So that extra recovery time means that you're going to get more bang for your buck every set. Right. Right. And that's also, that can be counter to a lot of endurance athletes because they're like, oh, this is endurance. I'm, I'm, I need to train. I need to go faster. No yes. rest, no rest. But it should be the opposite for an yes. endurance athlete. You should rest a lot so that you can yeah. make sure these reps are exactly as they should be. 100%. 100%. And if you notice, like, okay, this is coming from your coach's corner now. If you're doing someone with twos and, twos and threes, right, and a power lift, let's say we're using the back squat example. Let's just roll with it. How long do they have to recover between sets in order to produce the same amount of work? Do I recommend or should they? I recommend. I usually put three and a half minutes. I feel like it's about as long as somebody will wait around. Right. Three and a half. That's a long time. It's a long right? time for, to do like one or two, to do two reps and then to just hang out, sit down, <laughs> yeah, check, yeah. check out your Facebook, Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> anyway, so if you notice based on the principles we just talked about with the speed and the force development, right, it is actually quicker to get that done than it is with a standard barbell workout. Mm. And now we're back to the... The efficiency and the time efficiency. Ah. Yes. See, this is why we have to go really broad to start (laughs) with. And now we're getting specific. But yeah, it's a time management piece. You're getting a ton done. You're actually able to enhance your athleticism with the force production and the development. But you're also doing it in a way that's not going to get in the way of your aerobic gains too, because it's not as fatiguing. Totally. Because that would be um, really more taxing on your – is there a way to – like on your central nervous system, is it – equal or is the heavy lifts just going to whack wacky way more heavy lifts are worse hundred yeah. percent the closer you get to your one rep max and especially the deadlift the deadlift is incredibly neurologically taxing there's a reason why if you love gym fail videos as much as i do someone will like pull their one rep max off the floor and someone smack them in the back of the head mm-hmm. and then they go over to the dumbbell they fall right the hell over part of it is valsalva they're holding up their blood pressure you know the other part is that they're they just tap out the nervous system just goes boom they're done so yeah. there's that. <laughs> and that's typically like central nervous system is just, it just takes everything you have in you just to do one thing. Yes. Um, and that's, that's fatiguing. Yes. Um, okay, cool. So that, that makes total sense to me. And as far as it seems like there would be like a, needs to be a certain amount of humility here to be to the point where it's like, all right, I, on my seventh rep, I now feel like I'm not going as fast where there's people who, these gym warriors who want to do like 12, <laughs> be yeah. like, I did 12 sets of these back squats. Yes. So how have you run into that or have you, or is it just a matter of really being mindful and understanding what the main purpose of this is? We might be able to go off on another topic, which is also relevant for the questions that you sent to me. And I think it control matters being able to control what, you know, get the best bang for the buck out of the procedure. So I think you have to understand why you're doing it. You have to have enough self-control to execute it. And the reason why I said we can parallel your question is what OCR athletes suck at doing, right? Mm. What, what we're doing and part of it is the lack of patience to make <laughs> progress, right? We want the next greatest and best thing. And unfortunately, sometimes it's just the time you have to spend in the trenches learning your craft, right? That's one mm-hmm. big thing. I have a bunch of other things. I have like 12 things I think we suck at if you want to hear them all. 
We could get there. We could do them all. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that makes sense. And just having and knowing the idea behind it, and hopefully that's what we're giving people is that why behind they're doing this. Yes. Um, also, I don't. I know you are in the numbers and percentages and the details behind it. Do you? And I, I believe you posted something very similar to this as sure. far as what kind of gains you can expect outside of what the what is almost, almost seems anecdotal with the powerlifter that you cited before. Sure. Um, because I feel like that could also be a hang up where it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'll do two to three reps of 55% of my one rep max, but like, I don't feel like this is making me better. Oh yeah. I can definitely tell you how that's going to parallel. 100%. Totally. So yeah, that'd be helpful if you could be, okay, this type of training does work because yeah, this example. Oh God. Okay. I have a, a great visual for everyone who's listening. So you're running down a hallway, right? You have to have a 90 degree turn and you have to move into that 90 degrees and keep running fast. All right. You're going to have four people that are able to um, kind of handle that business. One is going to run really fast, slow down like hell, and then take the turn slow. Okay. The third, second person is going to go wide around that 90 degree turn, right? So they're going to be able to maintain some speed, but they're going to start slowing down. The third person is going to kick the wall and push off hard into that 90 degrees. So they're going to get fancy about it, but that costs energy, right? The fourth person is going to be able to take that 90 degree turn hard, pivot, and keep running fast, right? Who would you rather be in that example? The fourth, I would say. Fourth person. Why is that relevant? Change of direction and being able to produce force quickly to maintain your position. And why that matters in any kind of athletic pursuit Look at your teams, the slowest team, the ones that even if you have like equal synergy, like communication on field is good. And this is any sport, but let's just take team sports. Communication is good. The ones that have worse handling, worse change of direction speed, and the worst ability to accelerate are the ones that are going to lose, mm. right? They just don't look as athletic. So why this works with an endurance piece. And uh, I hope most of your listeners can kind of identify with this because I did. Um, with the long distance suck fest, whether it's a beast to an ultra and even some supers, depending back in the day, right? The person who could grind out the running would do better, but you didn't have to be super athletic. However, what would really happen over time? You'd find that that cost of work per stride is more difficult than if you were quote twitchy. So, you know, being a little bit more fast, twitch dominant and slow and that's muscle fiber, right? So anyway, why this parallels is as you're running, you put your foot into the ground, you do this stretch shortening cycle where your calf is going to load, then you stretch it and all that stored energy has to be released forward. So if you are better at force production, every cost of stride is less. So that means you're able to run faster with less increment of energy over time, right? Which means faster race times. So every step you take, if you're faster because you can produce more force at any given effort level, right? You're just going to be faster and your times get better. So that's why it's relevant. Got you. Cool. And that makes sense. And that's very specific too, because it's like, okay, yeah, running is a extremely lightweight strength exercise. Correct. Right. Which is why, why would you train strength in a, uh, you know, in an endeavor that is just like that? It's slow twitchy, right? Endurance mm-hmm. normally wins because this can help kind of marry both concepts between the endurance runner and the strength runner. Uh, strength training person so that you can get the best of both worlds without overtraining in one direction. And that's something I feel like many athletes don't understand. Endurance athletes in particular is like, well, how could this help me? This is not like the sport I'm doing at all. But put in that context, if it costs less energy, if you're stronger, if you can produce more force and move yourself with less energy, like 
that's how it's better. And that's how you need to, why you would need to do something like fast speed reps in the gym, as opposed to just running fast every day. It will help yeah. you run faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then and we're not even talking about the benefits of injury potential, like decreasing injury risk, totally. increasing stiffness in the system. Uh, you know, how many people have cramped doing a mountain race? Some of that is conditioning and lactate tolerance and going too hard, but some of it is just, you know, your, your muscles can't handle the task. And some of this will definitely help with that. Totally. So. You haven't recruited those. You haven't, those haven't been trained in any way. Mm-hmm. So what, when it comes to these skills then that we're all developing as an OCR athlete, is there kind of a hierarchy when it comes to these skills in your opinion, or that like we all need to have this base and then it works up like a pyramid and then like there's like fine tuning at the top or should it be, should we all identify the weakness that we need to work on on our own? Um, What do you think about that? Because there is, there are certain elements that we all need to be better at. So should you need to move forward and be competent in them all, or should you work on your own specific one? And how would you kind of like figure out what, what to do with that? Well, I think you're going to be in agreement with me. And I think many coaches that have a very active role in the participation of their clients would also say it depends, right? I think you have to know yourself as an athlete and almost at the beginning of a season, before you even race and put something structured together, you have to say, okay, I am here. What's my background? How much training age time did I have? So have I been running, you know, primarily for like seven years, but I have no other athletic background, uh, you know, let's say being in the gym or doing pull-ups that might translate to OCR specific performance, right? That I think needs to be the first conversation and then isolate two variables to get better at, right? And then structure your training around those major points. So if your carries are not great, then make it a priority because that's big. It's a running base skill sort of, right? Yes. Yeah. Strength element, but all, at the end of the day, that's endurance. And then try to marry that into your own procedure. But, you know, in the, the complete flip side of that, if you have someone who's a strength trained athlete that might do a lot of CrossFit, they don't have the aerobic capacity or the, you know, the running under them. So they're going to need to focus more on that than just starting to work on specific skills for OCR. Totally. And that's that it does kind of boil down to that honest conversation. Yeah, and, you need to be honest. And tr- and sometimes that's painful as far as getting away from the things that you want to do. You know, that's a, a lot of the, the athletes who I've come across that do come from CrossFit or from bodybuilding or something like that. Yeah. They don't really like it in on the trails. <laughs> they don't like it on the roads. So sure. it's really about figuring out how and, and when to put that into their own practice. And, and along those same lines, because we talked about not – being patient with this type of thing that, that, that I feel is certainly what happens with this kind of skill acquisition, uh, um, that people just want to rush it. So, but what are some of the other things that you found that OCR people like that you would kind of steer them away from? Sure. So, uh, OCR is very unique in the fact that we have an opportunity to race pretty much every weekend, everywhere at any time. So most of the, the, the high intensity, uh, high octane sports that involve endurance have a periodization where they peak for one or two events, maybe three, or they have like small little mini sessions. So if you have like a marathoner, right, they might say, well, I'm going to target this half, half marathon somewhere before that months before to see where my training is. And then I can start making better decisions. We tend to think that every race is an A race. Part of that is because we have people that are kind of jazzing us up. They say, let's say Spartan here. They give us the Spartan credo and we're shaking hands to the Spartan right and left of us. 
which at this point, thank God it's not that jazz filled. Uh, but anyway, what I think it makes sense to say, these are my priorities. Here's my skill set. Here's where I know I'm going to do my best and then do ABC as far as selection. This is old school exercise slash competition selection. And then make sure you have enough time to develop more skills. So I'm kind of working with a guy right now. I'm coaching him, but it's, it's free because I just want to do it and see him succeed. But also, I don't know how well I'd be as a coach. So I took this principle with him too. So he has sprints being a C event. And sprints are always done super hard, right? No matter who you are. So he has to have that self-control piece. And anyone listening to this would have to have it too. In order to say my sprints are to develop on-course efficiency. So where can where am I breaking down? If I pick up a sandbag and throw it down, how do I feel afterwards? If I do monkey bars or walls, am I able to get from point A to point B quickly and efficiently without burning out too much? Because you can only really max out like two times, maybe max three in a year. So you have to identify your skill sets. You have to identify where you want to be. Your A races should be roughly about two months, I would say, between each other. And we do a really bad job at that too. Some championship races are like one weekend and another. Back to back, I know. Yeah. And there are other options. Like how many times do you see people doing like, oh, I'm going to do high rocks this weekend. I'm going to do an ultra beast next. I'm like, yeah, good luck, man. You're dead. <laughs> you know? So I do think it pays to look at everything you want to do, why you're doing it. If it's going to be your best possible potential, if you're a short course person and you want to focus on an A race beast, it's probably not going to be your best option for this year. Not to say you can't do it next year, but try to develop skills and time under tension later, which means more long runs and then more tempo but focus on short course ability. So isolate yourself as an athlete, pick your races thoughtfully, probably about two months between a races, especially in season would be good. And then just make better decisions. You know, maybe eight times racing a year, nine. For sure. I totally agree with the racing too often. And I think where people where the hang up is on this and you mentioned it, if you feel like you're better at long course or you want to go after long course or you want to go after short course. And you mentioned the beginning, like you've done it all. You've, you've spanned and been successful in all these distances. And I think a lot of athletes don't know, (laughs) especially if you're not coming from a, a background. Like I know I I'm, I'm a road runner. I've ran on the track. I'm better at short distances. Like that's where I will, um, Excel, but people who might not be coming from it, they don't know if they're going to be good at the short. And maybe sure. I'll be good at a beast. Maybe I'll be good at high rocks. So they want to just really spread themselves thin and and yes. and hopefully find that thing. And in in the course of doing that, they get better at nothing. So how do you? How would you have that conversation? Like how do you do it? Like last year, you really kind of pivoted it and kind of switched things to to go after the stadium races. So what kind of process was behind that? Like, how did you choose that when most people will be like, well, I'm going to do Citizens Bank, but I'm also going to do Palmerton and, you know, Tahoe is right there too. And I want to do that. So I'm going to do it. That was, that was necessity. Um, A lot of like personal life kind of stuff, but I don't think that's going to be highly beneficial to your crowd that's listening to it. But what I will say is if you're going to start an OCR, your best opportunity to get a little bit of everything, especially right now, since Spartan has standardized their distances, mm-hmm. right? Super distance. It's perfect, right? You get to the position where you you have to build a little endurance. You have to build a little bit of skill. You're not attacking obstacles so hard that failure rate is mega high. Like if you get into a stadium and you run at maximum capacity, you've never done it. You're going to fail all over the place. Now you're doing burpees. Now you're miserable, Right. And then as far as doing a beast or an ultra, you don't have that buildup so much where you can sustain that level of discomfort, even hydration, fueling strategies, electrolytes. That's a skill in and of itself. Eating on the runs is a skill you have to develop. Mm-hmm. You don't even have that to do yet. So in a, in a super, you have enough distance, 
enough time between obstacles and definitely enough energy on board where you're going to enjoy the experience. You'll still have to push and you'll get something out of it, but you'll see like, well, that was too long for me, man. I'd rather do it short. Well then do stadiums. But if you're like, I want more of this, this is fantastic. Okay. Bump up to a beast. So it's almost like you got to be intuitive, be honest and know yourself a little bit, but you have to start somewhere. And to me, it's a super. That makes perfect sense in terms of how to figure it out, what you're going to like to do. And that should ultimately be it, not what you think you'd be best at, because I think that's what people are chasing quite a bit. Yes. Um, so what do you like? What do you like to do? Like where, what's going to make you happy? Like, would you, yeah, did, did you wish you could run faster there? Did you wish you could run in the woods longer? And then, and then taking it yeah. from that place. Do, do you like double sandbags or not? You know, that's another thing. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, and, and definitely – prioritizing the season and having that full scope in the a b and c like you said it is classic and it is important and it's also important for your training if you see a c race or a b race coming up and that's another big part like not to taper down and to ultimately train through it which will also help curb the results of that race so if you're training through a sprint you won't be at your fatigue level will be too high to perform well so you need to have that foresight and know that you're not and essentially plan to not race well that's that's yes. kind of the deal there's um, one more caveat if you don't mind me throwing a caveat out there caveat we talked about uh time you know training time and making sure there's efficiency your goals have to match your lifestyle mm. so if you're going to be doing a beast or an ultra distance and you want to do as well as possible the training time is much longer than i would say a sprint or a uh, you know but I'm going to use this. I'm going to use the sprint as an example. You can get a lot done in a short amount of time to be com- well competitive. And of course, there's that baseline. We did say 50 miles, roughly time or whatever under tension. But if you're doing an ultra in the mountains and you're doing a 50k and you want to be real good at it, it takes a lot of time to build up that amount of endurance, especially when it's that specific. So you have to know going into it that you are committing a lot of your life to preparing yeah. for these runs, like. I found preparing for an ultra was like more expensive. I was buying all this food and taking it out. It was like a lot more prep. I had to make sure everything was ready. And that, that also works into lifestyle and the finite amount of time that we have. So I agree. If you have that kind of time, if, if you you can get out on the weekends and spend hours, like maybe traveling to trails, traveling to mountains and then running there for several hours. Yes. That's definitely, that's definitely a good point. Um, Anything else you want to touch on as far as where you want to steer people away? Uh, okay. Another thing to help your time. Uh, and this is not me hating on social media, but I'll tell you what, um, you can get a lot more done if you just stay the hell away from it, mm-hmm. unless you're using it as a learning tool. And I'm not, I'm mean, once again, if you got to do your Instagram thing, I do Facebook thing. That's fine. But ultimately, but to set up your phone to get the best angle, then write your little post, then hashtag, and then do all your stuff. Like, if you have an obligation to ambassadorship or sponsorship or whatever, that's completely different. But if we are just talking about the best return on investment of your time and your ability, you need to then prioritize. Because here's the thing. It's all fake for the most part. A lot of fictions out there and mindset's big. So let's say that you're training your butt off and you're in age group and you have this guy that you're like, I'm going to go tear him apart this year. I'm going to beat him finally. And then you look at your Instagram and he's like doing more weight than you or running faster than you. It is detrimental to your performance. So Mm. instead of worrying about other people's business, please think about why you're doing it to begin with. And I would definitely, like I made my better gains when I wasn't, 
I wasn't needed to by contract and which, Hey, you're Spartan pro. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I don't know what the contract is, but we were required to do some posting. And I was like, Oh God, right. all right, I'll do my due diligence, but I try to avoid it. That's a great point. And I've done that and kind of built barriers for myself within that. Cause it's hard not to fall victim to that when people put their highlight reel up and seeing like, Oh, I put up my 5k that I run. I have no idea what their channel is like. I had no idea what their, what, what the purpose was. And right. I just stopped following pretty much everybody who does OCR. Like I don't follow them. <laughs> you know, they're right, right, some right. Of them, like a lot of them are my friends. I'm not that interested in what you're doing. So if you find yourself in something I put into place, if I, if I worry about something I've seen on social media, when I'm not on social media, then I have to go back and unfollow that thing or yeah, undo right. it. Like if it's, if it's leaking into my real world, like the fake world, then it has to be eliminated. Exactly. And you probably know this too, based on like past performances of athletes that have been in other positions that have tried OCR for the first time, they can be superior runners, right? They can just be, I'm going to use one as an example, Nell Rojas, right? She came in last year and she is ridiculous. Dude, she got like ninth in the Olympic trials last weekend. Exactly right. And that was her focus. But in OCR, she failed all over the place. Ryan mm. Woods in 2017, he wasn't as obstacle proficient. And he was a, you know, an amazing runner and still is. But he wasn't winning because of that. So just because you see some metric that people are beating you on does not mean you're going to lose to them on course. But because social media was, is what it is, it's kind of hypnotizing. And then you start having self-doubt. And that's terrible. It's a downstream effect. Right. And, and attaching yourself to metrics that you don't have to like miles run per week or pace per minute or whatever it is. There's nothing that's going to translate apples to apples from training to the course. So you might as well just worry about taking care of business while you're out there. And that's that's really all you can do. That's what's great about this. That's honestly what it is. Cause in, if it was road racing and you saw someone's workout and you did the same workout and your time was worse, you're like, well, this person more fit than me. I'm not going to beat them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I might have an awesome race, but they're, they seem to be way more fit. So it's going to be a tough one, but out on the OCR, man, people are so are fit in so many different ways. And 100%. It, it's, it's really cool to see how it all like melds together. Um, so what is what on, on the opposite side, what is something you wish OCR athletes would do a little bit more? A little bit more. Um, uh, I do think, uh, personal education is fantastic. There's mm-hmm. so many resources out there and now I'm going against the Instagram, Facebook, social media thing. But at the same time, we are in a position now where we can learn pretty much any skill at any time. So people like to follow trends and biases, but I think we do pretty well at saying, okay, well, we have a community setting, so this is working for us. Let's, let's try to troubleshoot as a group. And that's, I think, unique to this sport, which is not into any others. And I think that's why it lasts so long, because at the end of the day, we kind of like the fact that we just accomplish something together. So the community aspect and you know, extending knowledge, I think that's something we do very well at. Totally. So encouraging people to kind of be involved more. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. As a matter of fact, my favorite moments are not the elite field. <laughs> it's always the open class. Mm. Those guys are warriors, man. Some of them going out there, you know, male, female, it doesn't matter, you know, in between. If you, some of the people that would be like doing a beast and they have no business being there and they're mile four of like 13 and they're crying going up this, this like incline and someone's trying to encourage them. They're not saying anything, head down and just one foot in front of the other. I'm like, that is what's up. That's exactly mm. what needs to be done. It's amazing that is adversity and getting over yeah. adversity, right? Like we're out there and, and we're in, in for competition. And I must admit, I'm selfish when it comes to that thing. I do my race and then I hang out until I don't have to. And then I usually go home. But like this past oh, yeah. race, 
this past race, I, I, I hung out and, and watched some of the course and did see some of the open open waivers. And yeah, the people who are out there, it is really inspirational and, and being out there and giving encouragement and how positive people are when this shit is hard. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> this shit is really hard. And we've been there, you know, and to some degree, um, you started somewhere and you've had a fantastic career. And I, I think you're D, D1 track, right? That was cross mm-hmm. country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, that's, but you only got there through a lot of diligence and a lot of perseverance and a lot of failures and lessons from those failures. So they're just on that part of the journey just a little bit later. Yeah. We've all sucked. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And some of us continue to suck. That would be me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. So I, I do want to touch on a little bit about the, the zebra man runs. Cause that is your oh, that's cool. Thanks man. Talking about the, um, Instagram and how you shouldn't go on it, but that is like your handle. But, sure. uh, and I looked into it a little bit more and I, there it's, uh, it's, it is connected to a society, correct? That yes. is this what you, you had worked with before is that you had mentioned you had worked for a nonprofit or tell us a little bit about it. It's what is it called? The Euler Danlos? Is that it's, it's Euler's Danlos syndrome. So EDS, you know, but anyway, um, it started off with the national foundation and then it became the Euler's Danlos society. And basically without getting too deep into what it is, it is a connective tissue disorder that is heritable and it's uh, autosomal dominance. Basically what that means genetically is if one of your parents has it, you have pretty much hundred percent transmission rate. So it's, it's really easy to pass on. Um, the classical subtype of it, there's classical EDS and hypermobility vascular EDS is really bad. And there are also subtypes of it, but mostly without getting into too much specifics, it's for me talking to people, it's almost like having symptoms of Parkinson's, uh, MS and fibromyalgia, but not ever having it so bad that you're going to pass away from it. It's just Mm. a constant pain, constant dysfunction. There are also little crossover subtype issues with it. Um, one of which we'll talk about the vascular because it's probably the most devastating, but it's a collagen disorder and collagen builds up a lot of different structures in the body, whether it's muscle, tendinous attachments, uh, blood vessels, that kind of thing. And the vascular EDS and blood vessels, um, it's very fragile. So aortic rupture is pretty common when you start getting to like, you know, mid thirties, early forties. And if you have an aortic aneurysm, uh, you can bleed out internally and pass away. So Pretty much is constant pain, constant infunction, constant fatigue, and uh, no one really knows why because it's an invisible illness. You know, people just kind of say, well, you're crazy. This is what you have. Go deal mm. with it. We'll give you some pain management. But there is a condition that is underlying all these problems, but doctors aren't well educated for it because it's rare. And these people don't present normally like they actually do have a problem other than just their subjective complaints and their subluxations if their joints are really, really loose, Right. So, so there's no real testing. There's nothing like you can go and be diagnosed with it. It just ends up being like a a culmination of different symptoms, essentially. Yeah. Mostly it's subjective. Mostly it's like family history. So if you have a positive family history of people having similar problems, there's a Baton criteria test, which is like an eight point test, which nine point, which shows like skin laxity, general mobility of your joints. And that's for the classic or, you know, the, um, the hypermobility subtype, but there's also some genome variations they can track on the classical and hypermobility, which is like COL5A, COL5B. But otherwise they haven't mapped it enough to say that's the dysfunctional one. Uh, they're working on it, but they haven't been able to do that yet. Yeah. Is this, uh, I just feel like that's so telling of just how medicine works. Like we don't even know when this thing, like in 50 years, I'll be like how you, people just didn't know this was a thing okay. before. You just couldn't even determine it. Um, Cool, man. So, and then what is your, what's your role with, within the um, society? 
You know, I was just trying because not a lot of people know about it. And I didn't like put my hand out and then say to them personally, like, I'm going to go run for your foundation. You know, I just started off very grassroots. I wanted to provide the education out there. I wanted to put on some face bait. Their, their mascot is a zebra, which is why right. the zebra thing is what yep. it is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, eh, what the heck? I'll just promote where I can. If anyone's interested, I'll do that. I mean, to be frank, I was much more active in like 2014 to 2016. You know, I'd have my own materials at races. I'd be constantly talking to people. I would have people sign my, my running shirt so that I could kind of like run with them on course and do like some very, very hard promotions. But, you know, time and availability of time, that is that time management piece, got really difficult. So I figured I'll just perform well and then I'll have enough breadth of knowledge here that if someone wants to ask about it, I can then speak on it. So then, you know, if I do well enough, hopefully that will allow people to get more inspired and then I can talk to them. And, you know, I'm talking to you about it, which is a huge boon to that. So I appreciate it. I would have no idea you had this if you didn't do the face paint. And that's that uh, you do wear face paint when you race. I do. like, yeah. And uh, there was probably people like light bulbs went off like, oh, the zebra face guy. Yeah, the guy with like the tribal tattoo on his face, right? (laughs) You see the old pictures? I when know, I was probably. trying to get it done, oh, dude. Okay, if you go to my Facebook, it's just Matt Liptek or Matthew Liptek, but it's pretty easy. There's a guy with like insane clown posse makeup and holding a dog, and that was like 2013, me trying to like paint my face right, and it looked just <laughs> totally ridiculous. So I got the, oh, man, you're an insane clown posse guy. I'm like, not, no, not really. But Were they know. juggalos? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was a hatchet man at one point. <laughs> so how long does that take to do the... Well, okay, since I don't know if they're a company anymore, but that um, uh, Laura Messner worked with them, that she turned me on to them. Um, the ones with the, uh, it's a face paint pen. So it doesn't matter. You can kind of put it on water, sweat, you know, uh, sports safe. That's it. Sports safe. Okay. They had pens and you just put it on and the full face was like 10 minutes. Half the face was five. The full paint so that I was You would just do it yourself. You just kind of like write mark, marker. Zebra yep. stripes. Freehand, dude. When you do it a lot, you just kind of go, all right, I got it on there. Well, the efficiency <laughs> increases as you uh, get used to it. But now, so that's when you do routine. Pictionary of that. Yeah. What's that? So, yeah. So, pre race routine is, uh, you know, get up, bathroom, shower, maybe, zebra face, yeah, n- banana, <laughs> and then you're ready to, ready to go. <laughs> um, like everybody else, minus the zebra face, you know, face paint. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, cool, man. So what about this year? So where can people find you out there? Are are you planning on racing much or what are you thinking? I'll tell you the truth. Um, after 2019, it was supposed to be a build year to maybe potentially go on the pro team again for 2020 and then start actually traveling. I've never actually had the opportunity financially to actually go to more of the championship races. So mm-hmm. I thought, all right, I'll save now. I'll compete later. I'm kind of in my prime. I'll see if I can have this fit into my lifestyle. And uh, ultimately, it just didn't work out. So in November, I just sent him an email. It was like an exit email before that entire thing blew up with the contracts and stuff. But I was like, there are other people, yourself included, that's like, these guys need to be there. These guys need to be the ones that are pushing the, the Spartan kind of brand forward. They have the means. They have the, you know, the, the social media presence. They're able to do this. Like your podcast is fantastic for this. Thank you. Um, so I thought for me personally, given the fact that if I would continue, it would be more out of arrogance. So basically what I'm trying to do now is, uh, you know, pay off college debt. I have two degrees and that has been a big problem for me for over a decade. Um, it is what it is, but I learned a lot and I'm glad I was able to do it. So no regrets there, but I'm trying to potentially coach a little bit. And the ultimate coaching concept here, um, is one, let's see how it works out with just a select group of clientele. 
because I've been in the sport. I love the sport. I love the people. I like to give back, but also because I want to make sure that I can help a select group rather than have such an overarching feel where I can't hit everyone's unique needs, which is what we talked about this entire podcast. I feel like I'd be too overstretched. Mm -hmm. uh, but other than that, it's, it's kind of like, you know, maybe coach work on my own personal skill acquisition, you know, fitness is fitness. I like being in shape. So I still run, I still lift. I still, you know, all the stuff we talked about, I try to put into my own routines because I think it's still valuable as an overall, you know, position as a person. So maybe some open class running, maybe something like that, but otherwise, nice. you know, it's just nice to be here. I'm, I'm glad to talk about it. I'm glad to help people. So if you want to go on the social media stuff and ask me questions, I'm more than happy to do what I can to give you a better answer. So we'll see. But one last thing for coaching why I think the thing that I'm going to do is kind of unique is eventually there's going to be an exit strategy because you should be able to uh, train yourself at some point. Uh, and I want to give mm -hmm. them the tools to do so rather than just say, yeah, we'll keep you coming back. Right. Because that's how I started and that's how I'd like to just provide them with information. There's a lot out there and I think I can help people. So totally. And I agree. And that's a great, uh, noble way. All of that, like, you know, kind of step, stepping back from racing, stepping back from the pro team and having this idea of coaching to help better the individual so that they can kind of take care of it themselves, as yeah. opposed to just having someone hanging on and just you, them needing your accountability, as opposed to you teaching them how to be self, self-sustaining on their own. Um, and that's, that's spreading the good word, man. And that's going to, that ultimately will help more people because that will kind of have like a trickle down effect. And, and the people that they touch, um, they'll have this knowledge now that you've given them and, ho and hopefully it kind of bleeds all the way through. You know, I'm glad you said that because it seemed like the sport was a lot more pure back in the day. And most things are before money starts getting thrown around. But like, you know, like we kind of anticipated earlier, it was like, why are you doing this race? That's a tough mutter. It sucked. I got a beer, but I had a lot of cool stories afterwards. You know, we're kind of losing that a little bit since it's been, you know, global. So yeah. I think this downstream trickle effect might help, you know, a little bit where I can. But what are your goals, man? I mean, I've been talking my ear off, well, your ear off and everyone else's ear off, but do you have any goals for the season? What are you thinking? Um, so it turns out they're not doing a stadium world championship. Um, oh, that's a shame. They're just like, they weren't going to tell anybody. And they just were like, oh, yeah. Oh, we did say that. Never mind. Um, so I'm still going to do the series, the stadium series. I'm yeah. interested in uh, DecaFit. I think that's like right up my alley. Yeah, man. And the High Rocks, I was going to do the one in, uh, in like a couple of weeks, but just, you know, like I said, travel. It just didn't make sense. Um, so primarily there. And some of the regional races, I'll, I'll probably do Palmerton just because it's around, but mostly stadium and, and DECA stuff. So uh, I have a couple of road races coming up. A road race in two weeks, a, five, a little 5K, yeah, and, then broad, and then Broad Street. So um yeah you should come on out to philly and do uh, a little 10 mile you want to do some open road races well considering how fast you run can i be on a bike and i'll just like feed <laughs> you water i mean jesus you want to hit, like, hit almost five minute miles on the nose for 10 i was like uh -uh. <laughs> i'm hoping awesome. That'd be, yeah so they're they're fun and again it's i'm just trying to really do what i like to do in, as far as training the past couple of years, I've really kind of chased the mountains and like, you know, this is what I need to do to get better. And so I need to get better at this. And I just didn't enjoy it that much. Um, it's fun. I like running in the mountains, uh, but I like pushing it, man. I like, I like getting up and really getting to that red line and just pushing right above it and seeing how long you can go for there. So I want to do races like that. So first stadiums in uh city field and then, cool, dude. uh, and it's actually nice. Cause there's that one's close. Philly's close. Boston's not bad. Um, Dallas is actually a cheap flight from Philly. And then the only one that's really kind of a stretch is the Anaheim one. But Hey, we just got a full circle moment there too, based on your own uh, biases and where you want to go, because we were talking about isolating what you're good at and what you like. 
but yeah. you're saying, I'm going to go short because I enjoy this particular style. I'm good at it. I'm going to hammer it down. And those are your A races. See? So, hey. That's it. Yeah, it took a while. Yeah, I, yeah I was been chasing the other stuff for a while. And maybe I'll do Tahoe. I don't know. I, like the way the kind of season is progressing, it looks like I, I could do a Tahoe there. But that's like the thing with it. You know, it's like, am I doing it just because it's like the championship race? And that's really all there is. Um, I don't sure. know about I don't know about uh, Abu Dhabi, though. That, that seems pretty wild. I, I, I think that it was time to switch the venue. I'm glad that they did the uh, Ultra World Championship at Vermont, you know, mm. Ellington. I think that was a cool move. Um, Abu Dhabi. I mean, it's it's nice, but it's going to limit some competition from going there that have always been really competitive, even age groupers. You know, it's the cost to go there, the, the logistics, all that's going to be a little brutal. I don't think it's a bad move. I Like, they yeah. have to go international at some point. Yep. You know, so we've got to rip that Band-Aid off. And at, at, to a certain point, it is going to eliminate some of the competition, but it's going to really elevate the people who are dead serious about this. Yeah. I'm so you're sure not going to get the sure. people who just, like, you know – live in California and, and qualified in somehow and they're just going to go. Yeah, um, yeah, sure. So the only the really serious people will go. Like if I had a chance or if somebody had a chance to get top five, like they're going, you know? Yes. Um, so I don't, I'm, I'm cool with it, but I don't know if this year is like to, to adjust the training to go to a beast on sand seems, seems tough. Yeah. And then, you know, I think Innovate's going to be really happy about how many gators they sell because it's just going to be ridiculous into whatever shoe you try to put on. Yeah, uh, that is going to be. I, I didn't even think about that. People are going to have to cover that up, aren't they? Here we go. Craft uh, USA, uh, start working on your gator game because then if you can go put that into the Spartans, you're going to make a ton of money, at least for one showing. At least one shot. I mean, they made right. that shoe. And I don't know how well that's doing, but the gators might be a better better call. Um well, cool, man. And then your your Instagram handle is is it just straight up Zebra Man Runs? Yeah, at Zebra Man Runs. Um, both that and the Facebook. Like I said, you can see me at Matthew Liptak. And yeah, hit me up if you have any questions. Cool, dude. Well, this is awesome. I, I really love the chat. I think people get tremendous value out of it. So I'm just gonna hit end, and we'll stay on this this platform thing. But that.